As I shared uh, at the beginning of the service, you know, we had Ash Wednesday on Wednesday, which was a great time of, of prayer and confession and an opportunity to remind ourselves of, you know, what is it that we, Easter is all about. It's about the fact that Jesus was willing to die on a cross for all of our sins so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all, and then He conquered both sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the gift of eternal life and the gift of a, a new life as we seek to follow Him. And during that Ash Wednesday service, you may recall, we had a a time of confession where people could confess their sins uh, privately to the Lord, and then we had a prayer of penitence where we corporately had a responsive prayer. And and confession is so, so important for us to do because as we confess our sins, we are able to experience God's grace afresh and anew as we realize that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And so we don't have to live in condemnation for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as we follow Jesus, we would hope that in our lives, we would sin less and less and less, that hopefully we become more like Christ, more like Jesus, who was without sin. When we are tempted, how are we to respond? What should we do when we feel ourselves being tempted? Ideally, we should uh, avoid temptation, right? And just that's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, lead us not in temptation. Ideally, that's what we should pray, and ideally, we would avoid temptation. But when we feel ourselves becoming tempted, when we succumb to sin, what are what are we to do to help avoid temptation? Reminds me of the story of the uh, the uh, sweet. Um, pastor's wife who, as the young pastor was trying to make ends meet on his new associate pastor's salary, you know, he noticed that the credit card bill, there was a, there was a, a bill from uh, Macy's for over $1,000. His wife had bought a dress, and he couldn't understand how she could spend so much money on one dress when they're trying to make ends meet. And so he asked her directly, he said, Ashley, why did you spend so much money at Macy's? How much did that dress cost? And she said, well, it was about $1,100. He goes, $1,100? How could you spend $1,100 on one dress? And, and she explained, well, you know, initially I was not going to buy it, but then I saw it in the window and how nice it looked. So I thought it wouldn't hurt just to try it on. And so I tried it on as I stood there in the mirror. It's as if Satan was right there in my ear saying, Ashley, you look amazing in that dress. You should buy it. Well, the pastor wanting to offer some words of correction and direction to his wife said, well, you know, when I feel myself becoming tempted, I, t- I say, Satan, get behind me. And she said, I actually said those words, but then he told me it looks great from back there as well. <laughs> what are we to do to avoid temptation, to help resist the temptations of this world? I don't know if you know this, but In the United States today, uh, even though the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender, the credit card debt in America is $1.13 trillion, and the average credit card is charging over 24% in its interest rate. Why do we buy things that we don't, well, that we can't afford, and sometimes we don't even really need? How can we resist temptation? to make sure that we're good stewards of all of life, not only our finances, but our time and our talents as well. Reminds me of a conversation I had not long ago with a a friend of mine who grew up Roman Catholic. He no longer goes to church, but he's been aware enough about all the debates that happened with the redefinition of marriage in parts of our country, and so he asked me what I thought about that, and I said, well, our church actually joined a a Presbyterian church or denomination that upholds Jesus' biblical definition of, of marriage and he said, you know, it's interesting to, to me, the church makes a lot of, about sexual sin, but I don't hear it talk a lot about gluttony, 
greed, sloth, wrath, envy, or pride. Why doesn't the church talk more about those sins, Howard? I said it's probably because as the church we haven't done a great job differentiating ourselves from the rest of culture. As Christians, we can be just as guilty of pride, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and even lust. The fact is that we're all guilty of some sin, so how can we make sure that we become more like Jesus and resist the temptations of Satan and the temptations of this world? To see how Jesus resisted temptation, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Holy Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, as we turn to this powerful story of how Jesus resisted temptation, the temptations of Satan, I pray that you might speak afresh and anew to us that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, listen to God's word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Here ends the reading of God's Word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's look again at verse 1 of our text in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, why did the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? I thought we were called to avoid temptation. Isn't that what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation because we don't want to be tempted. We're not sure we can handle it, right? Don't even lead us or draw us near to temptation. And yet, we read that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Well, right before this scene in Matthew chapter 3, we read the powerful story of the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, we're going to have a a baptism this morning. We're excited to do that. 
And we read these words in Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. At Jesus' baptism, our Heavenly Father declares that Jesus is His Son, with whom He is well pleased. Until the baptism of Jesus, Jesus had really lived as the son or really the stepson of a carpenter named Joseph. He had been learning a trade for 30 years, and now at His baptism, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes upon Him and Our Heavenly Father from heaven says, this is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And now God the Father and God the Spirit are leading him into the wilderness so that Jesus, in preparation for his earthly ministry, might experience temptation, so that he might be a Savior who can relate to all of us. I love the way that Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, speaks of this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. We read these words. Since then we have a great high priest, that would be Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Jesus experienced temptation, and yet he was without sin, so that he could relate to us as those who are tempted daily, and he might lead us in how we can avoid succumbing to sin. So how was it that Jesus was able to resist temptation exactly? We may notice in our text this morning, every time Satan tries to tempt Jesus, he responds by quoting a passage of Scripture, specifically from Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 8. He quotes because he had been meditating on those words, meditating, murmuring, memorizing, prepared to give an account when the accuser would come. You know, as we look at this uh, text, we can see that there's actually four spiritual practices or sacred rhythms that Jesus is doing here before he launches his earthly ministry. He's spending time in solitude, time alone with his heavenly Father, He's obviously spending time in prayer, praying to God the Father. He's spending time in fasting, fasting from food, and he's meditating on God's Word so that, or feasting on the Word of God, as Richard Foster likes to say. In fact, if we want to be able to resist temptation and be able to become more like Jesus to have the strength to resist temptation when it comes, we should probably do the types of things Jesus did, these sacred rhythm, these sacred practices. I love what... Uh, John Ortberg has written a great little book called The Life You've Always Wanted. Uh, He came and spoke at our church several years ago. He was our all-church retreat speaker just two years ago. The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. And he points out in this great book that, you know, if we want to resist temptation, it's not about an effort of the will and simply trying harder. Rather than trying, just trying, we need to train wisely. And we train wisely by doing the kinds of things Jesus did, spending time with our Heavenly Father in prayer and even fasting and and feasting on the Word of God so that the Word of God is louder than the temptations of the enemy. He uses the illustration in the book about a runner. You know, if you want to run a marathon, you can't just get up off the couch and start to run a marathon. 
It actually reminds me of a race that my wife signed me up for not long ago. It was a little 5K, and I, I thought, well, what's 5K? It shouldn't be too long. It's about 3.1 miles. If I'd really thought about it, I've never won th- I had never run 3.1 miles in my life before. <clears throat> but I lift weights. I run a little bit, you know, I, I, on the treadmill uh, to warm up. And so I thought, oh, this can't be too hard, you know. And it's not a competitive race. You know, I'm not trying to win the thing, just trying to raise money for charity. So I agreed to do it. But I asked at the race, as we started, I said, will there be a water station? Because I know I'm going to need a break, you know. And they said, oh, yeah, there's a water station. I said, great. So we left from Wolfen Village, and we began to run and run and run and run. And I couldn't see the water station. And I was getting a little nervous as we're going by Westminster Presbyterian Church. I'm like, where is that water? I need a break. I mean, I ran the 800s uh, in middle school. And how long ago was that, right? I'd never run 3.1 miles in my life, you know. And I'm thinking, where is that water station? Finally, we turn the corner and we turn another corner. And two miles into the race, there's the water station. Now, every other runner just grabs that little cup of water, and they just keep on running. They splash their face, and they just keep on running. Not me. No, I sat down. I drank more water and more. (laughs) I waited until my wife, who's 5'2", finally showed up, you know, with her shorter legs, and then I I finished the race with her. Now, I've been told that if I take 20 weeks of training and begin to run every other day, I might be able to do a half marathon, even though I'm not a runner But the idea of me running even a 5K without having done any kind of training is pretty silly. The idea that you and I can resist temptation without training wisely in the spiritual practices of the Lord is pretty silly. So what was it that Jesus did? He began his ministry by spending 40 days in the wilderness alone with with God the Father. In fact, many scholars point out that this 40 days in the wilderness is parallels the 40 years that Israel spent in the wilderness in preparation for coming into the promised land where they were tested. And if you read the Exodus story as it's read from Exodus to Deuteronomy, you'll see that the people of Israel, they often failed the test, but Jesus was successful. He was tempted, but without sin. So how did he resist temptation exactly? Well, he was praying He was spending time alone with his heavenly father. He was fasting, and he was feasting on the word of God. In fact, I like what Richard Foster says in his wonderful Christian classic, Celebration of Discipline, where he points out, he has a whole chapter on fasting, and he says, fasting is feasting. This is what he writes. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Food does not sustain us. God sustains us. In Christ, all things hold together. Therefore, in experience of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the Word of God. Fasting is feasting. Fasting is feasting. Can you say that with me? Fasting is feasting. During the time that we would normally eat when we're fasting, We should feast on the Word of God and and turn to God's Word and meditate on God's Word. As we talked about uh, last Sunday, we should murmur that Word, meditate, memorize even the Word of God so that we might live out God's Word faithfully each and every day. Have you ever experienced a fast? Imagine if you've gone to the doctor to draw blood work. They always say, hey, skip breakfast, don't eat anything before the test so you can get the right measure on your blood. But you know, that's a short-term fast. Have you ever done like a 24-hour fast? In fact, if you've never fasted before, I would encourage you to start with a 24-hour fast. I found the best way to do this is to have a good lunch, a good healthy lunch, and then skip dinner, 
and skip breakfast, and then you can resume with the lunch. And during that time that you would normally eat, when your body starts to talk to you and it grumbles and says, hey, I want food, you go, hey, I'm going to give you eternal food. I'm going to focus on the Word of God. I'm going to read and meditate on God's Word. And I have found that when I fast and read, meditate on God's Word and pray, I'm able to hear God just a little more clear. You see, what happens in fasting physically is that your metabolism begins to slow down. And as your body slows down, so does your mind. And I don't know about you, but my mind is often racing with different thoughts. But when I, when I fast, I slow down. I'm a little more tired, and my mind isn't racing quite so fast. And in that stillness, in that slowness, I can hear God's Word as I, I meditate on His Word, as I chew on His Word, as I seek to memorize His Word. You know, in Scripture, fasting is often a sign of repentance. King David, after committing the sin with Bathsheba, fasted and prayed. But fasting can also be a time of discernment. If you want to know what God's will is for you, you're facing some kind of big decision. Perhaps you should not only read and pray, but fast. Because when we fast, we're feasting on the Word of God as we take the time that we would normally eat and we meditate on God's Word. We know that's what Jesus was doing because every time He's tempted, He responds with a quote from Scripture, from either Deuteronomy 6 or Deuteronomy 8. Look again at those words, picking up with verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I want to point out here, it says he was hungry, not thirsty. If you're going to fast from food, I would first check with your doctor to make sure you're medically able to do that. But if you're going to fast from food, that's fine, but you should continue to drink water, continue to drink liquids. Uh, The human body can go days, even weeks without food, but it cannot go very long without water. We need water. And so Jesus was drinking, but it says he was hungry, which is kind of a... uh, an understatement after not having eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. He was ravenously hungry, I would imagine. I know for me, even when I just do a 24-hour fast, and again, I would say start small with fasting, do a a 24-hour fast, and then if you build momentum for that, you could eventually maybe do a three-day fast. But again, always drinking either liquids or juices to stay hydrated, but going without food and taking that time when you would normally eat to feast on the Word of God. For man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, when I fast, I find that not only am I hungry, but I can become a little, bl- little bit irritable, too, in my hunger, and I become what you call hangry. Ever been hangry before? You're kind of hungry and angry all at the same time. That's why it's good to be in solitude if you can during that fast. You, know, you don't want to be angry with your, with your spouse or your children, you know. Uh, try to find some time and space to be alone in fasting and praying to God. But notice again what it says, And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was ready to give a response to these temptations with the Word of God because He had been meditating, memorizing, chewing on God's Word, allowing it to nourish Him. And of course, this first temptation that that Satan brings to to Jesus is to ask Jesus to use his divine powers for selfish purposes. But Jesus didn't come here to be selfish. Jesus came here to be selfless. And he's calling us to do the same. 
If you've been doing the reading plan that we have, the five-by-five reading plan, you know that we were in Matthew 19 uh, recently where James and John, the brothers, come to Jesus where the mother does and says, hey, could you make sure that my two sons can sit at your left, at your right, when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus is like, oh, you don't get it. I didn't come, Jesus says. Jesus said, I didn't come to this earth to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't do things for selfish purposes. We should seek to be servants, selfless servants as Jesus was. And we'll do that if we meditate on his word, reading his word, meditating on it, even memorizing it. So that when temptation comes, it's that word that speaks to us more loudly than the temptations of Satan. In the second temptation, we read, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. Notice that now Satan kind of sees how Jesus is going to respond to his temptations by quoting Scripture. So Satan tries to take Scripture and spin it for his own purposes by taking a Scripture, a verse, out of context and misusing it, misapplying it. You know, as Presbyterians were born out of the Reformation, and in the 1600s, uh, Reformed fathers created what's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, it highlights that all Scripture is God-breathed, And the ultimate rule for interpreting Scripture is that Scripture interprets Scripture. For the same Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew to write his Gospels, the same Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write his letters, it's the same Holy Spirit who inspired David to write his Psalms. That if we read a verse, we should read it within its greater scriptural context because Scripture interprets Scripture. And clearly, Satan is misusing Scripture here because he says, quoting Psalm 91, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, Psalm 91 has nothing to say about jumping off a temple and testing God. It's actually about relying and trusting in God, and in that reliance, knowing that God will deliver us. Let's look at Psalm 91, verses 9 to 11. He only quotes verse 11, but let's look at verses 9 to 10, where we read these words. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. Because you're trusting God, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. We are called to trust God, not to test God. Jumping off the temple would would have been a way to test God's deliverance. Rather, we are called to trust and rely on God's deliverance, knowing that our God is faithful. Yes, Satan is misapplying Scripture here, and Jesus catches it right away because he knows the Word of God and responds, again, it is written, and now he quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We shouldn't test God. We should trust God, knowing that our God is faithful to deliver us. Well, finally, Satan tries with one more temptation. We read about it in verse 8. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. We know from the Ten Commandments that we are not to worship anyone other than the one true God. And so Jesus responds this time by quoting Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Be gone, Satan. Those are Jesus' words. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
You know, it's interesting to look at this temptation that Satan gives. He's like, you know, if you worship me, Jesus, I'll give you all the temporal kingdoms of this world, which is kind of a cheap trade, right? I mean, it, the temporal kingdoms of this world, this is Jesus, this is the Son of God. He has all authority in heaven and earth, and we know that because the resurrected Jesus, after faithfully following our Heavenly Father, who called him to live a life of perfect obedience, and then he asked him to die on a cross as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. And then he rose again, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life if we turn to him, so we might have the gift of a new life as we follow him. This resurrected Jesus, with the final words of Matthew's gospel, says in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, the resurrected Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because of Jesus' obedience, because he was the Son of God, all authority of heaven and earth have been given to him. Not just the temporal kingdoms of the world that Satan tries to peddle to Jesus if he'll simply bow down to him. What a silly temptation Satan brings. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I believe one of the reasons that Jesus was able to resist temptation and one of the things that can help us resist temptation is because Jesus was focused on the mission that his Father had sent him on. And we have all been sent on a mission to go and make disciples. Wherever we are, we're called to be salt and light that help point others to the good news of God's great love for all of us. We are called to be the kind of people who, who love rather than judge. We're called to be the kind of people who are, who are quick to forgive, who pray for our enemies, who pray for those who persecute us, who turn the other cheek. We're the kind of people who are called to treat others the way that we would like to be treated. And we're on mission because ultimately we want to help point others to Jesus. We want them to become disciples like we are. And if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be able to resist temptation as Jesus did, then guided by the Holy Spirit, we need to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. We need to train wisely by developing the sacred rhythms of spending time in solitude and in prayer, talking to our Heavenly Father, and even fasting from time to time. And while we're fasting, recognizing that fasting is feasting, feasting on the Word of God, knowing that, God does, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that as we look at this familiar story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, we can see, first off, we have a, a Savior who, who can relate to us because He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. And so we can approach the throne of grace with, with confidence, knowing that He knows what it means to be tempted. But we can also see that he was able to resist temptation by responding with the Word of God, knowing that while he was fasting from food, he was feasting on the Word of God, meditating on it, memorizing it, so that he would be ready to give a response to the temptations that came his way. So God, I pray that we might do the same, that as we, this Lenten season, spend time alone with you in prayer, that we would also feast on the Word of God, even fasting from food so that we might hear your Word more clearly as we slow down, as we meditate, as we even memorize, knowing that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.